Uh, I love weekends like that, where it's, I, I just, that was a full slob fest by me. <laughs> the entire Saturday, Sunday, just stapled. You yeah. know, like, I'm pacing back and forth to the kitchen and back to make sure I get, like, a couple of... A couple steps in? Like, a couple steps. <laughs> <laughs> Making sure to hydrate properly, because it was a lot of TV. Yeah. That was a lot of TV. Many hours in a row. This is where, so, you know... I'm single and like I've been, not to brag, but in a few relationships, (laughs) but I never understand how people who are married do what I do. I, and in fact, I don't think you guys do it well. Let me just say that. (laughs) I think the rest of you are kind of frauds and that I'm really the only one doing it well. And that only single people can, because there's just no way that any decent person would tolerate who I was this weekend. (laughs) Like it's just not, it's just not possible. Like, Especially when I was watching the end of the blowout in the Eagles game. I'm like, well, I just want to make sure that this the book is closed on this. I watched Raptors. I watched the Leafs. I watched NFL football, like a copious amount of it. I watched some pregame shows, although there's no good pregame show. It's a no, real they're all shame. bad. It's they're just guys bad. sitting in a circle laughing. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> yeah, it's quite awful. Over now here's a guy. It's unbelievable. Now here's a guy. Now here's a guy is a good line. <laughs> now Perfect here's a guy. line. Yeah. <laughs> um, the highlight of the weekend, though, for me was the beer guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Canadian icon. Yeah. I think that's one of the, the hardest. So my friend <laughs> sent that to me on Friday night. And I, yeah, I think I, I'm not even kidding. I watched it probably a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've watched it so many times. I sent it to every person I know. Oh, yeah. I just immediately became forward guy who sent it to everyone. It popped up in a lot of group chats. Yeah. It was, it's so good. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I really think that the, like some of the things that he said in that rant are going to be core staples of my friendship for, <laughs> I would say the next 10 years at least. <laughs> Saying it's not, fe- that's not a feasible amount yeah. is going to be a loss. <laughs> not a feasible amount. I think I'm going to sign off saying I, I really want to steal rock and roll from him. It's can he own rock and roll? <laughs> can he own rock and roll? Like he can have I can't you can't handle the two. Actually, let's roll it. Let's play this audio because if you haven't heard it, um, it's gold. Yeah, I think this is sports. Okay, <laughs> that is for sure. Because this man goes hand in hand. This man is he has a lifestyle that I endorse. Anyway, let's. I, I don't know where this report was. I, I'm also a little upset. But, no, I know that it was CHCH that had the, had, like, interviewed this guy. I'm saying that the genesis of this is that there's a report that, I guess, health, who, who said that we can only, should only have two drinks a week? Nobody knows? Anyway, the, the, the premise of this is essentially that it's healthy to maintain only two drinks a week, that that's the healthy amount, and that there might be adverse effects to more, which, again, is always been hilarious to me like yeah uh who needs us to know that booze is not great for your health <laughs> like yeah and but it obviously wasn't realistic anyways this is this man uh known as beer guy i don't know if there's ever if there's been another name i've seen speculation as to where he's from you guys know where, where, where would you guess he's from well i saw I, a lot of sure. he's from hamilton that would make a lot of sense. Whoa. All I right. thought it was St. Catharines. <laughs> oh, say, see, St. Catharines. See, Joe, you idiot. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So we're going to miss anyway, Joe. Jeez. Anyway, let's, let's roll it. This is this man being told that there are new guidelines saying that you should try to keep yourself to two drinks a week. 
What did you buy today? I bought uh, six Bush Light, six Bud Light, and I love them. Tall boys. Pause. Tall boys. Uh, Pause. How much did you drink today? Pause. <laughs> Already <laughs> red hot. And how I love them. His face when he says, I love them. Like, <laughs> what did you buy today? He, he's, uh, he says his brands, which I think anybody that follows me knows how I feel about this man's beer order, which is strong endurance. Uh, but that he feels the need to just be like, and I love him. Love is, him. Is, yeah. First love of all, him. red hot start. Continue. Well, what day? Regular yeah. day. Turn the pause. Know, <laughs> what day? Pause. Well, what day? That's my favorite. That's actually my favorite part of the whole thing is that. So it hasn't really, it hasn't peaked, but personally for me, that is just the right way to ask that question. Like how much, how much do you drink a day? What day? (laughs) This is a a seasoned vet. This is not, this is not some, you know, passerby in the drinking game. He's got years in the league. He's got years. First of all, he says he loves them. So (laughs) make sure you come correct with the questions. Uh, I, what day? All right. Keep it going, Austin. Regular day. I don't know. Maybe a couple of beers. Depends. Weekends. Maybe, you know, five beer. Two drinks a week. <laughs> what do you think of that? Well, that's just not uh, feasible. Not in this country. Well, come on, man. Two drinks a week. What's that going to do for you? I mean, that doesn't even get you through a day. A reasonable Pause. <laughs> okay. So we've cut the guy's questions from this. Um, but... Which I, I think is important, which we, we've missed out on here, Austin. <laughs> like, this is the wrong one. I, I, this is the wrong one. I wanted the questions because they're, they're vital to this. Now I feel in terms of, like, I need to narrate this. Because he's not just, just, like, jumping all over the place. This man's not a lunatic. This man speaks a lot of sense, okay? You've done him really <laughs> a poor service here. I got to tell you, I'm very disappointed. I double-checked with you. I was like, do we have the right one that I tweeted? You're like, 100%. This is the one you tweeted? No, it's not. Mine has questions. Mine has the questions in it. Anyway, he he asks him, like, what's a reasonable number? And then he goes and says his side. But, yeah, um, he starts by saying uh, five beers is like his, that's him on a weekend. And then immediately goes like, no, I, I actually like four is a fair number, but I'm having six. Like yeah. immediately backtracks on the five. Anyway, keep it going. Fair. Keep it going. Four is fair. He's four. Four is even here, but let's keep it rolling. Let's keep it rolling. Oh, come on, man. Two drinks a week. What's that going to do for you? Pause. <laughs> Correct. What's that going to do for you? Correct. Yeah, no, he's right. What he's you, right again. What? Like. He's right. <laughs> yeah. He's absolutely right. Anyway. No more elaboration. Keep, keep it going. I mean, that doesn't even get you through a day. A reasonable uh, amount. If you're, I mean, if you're at home, yeah. just be able to have like uh, four beer. Correct. Four beer. That's just, uh, that ain't, that's just two more. That is. I mean, I'll have six. See? <laughs> Pause. <laughs> Another he just terrific right highlight in this. <laughs> he compromises to the four. He's like, listen, I'm assuming steady. <laughs> Let's, let's be real here. Four. That's just two more. And it's like, all right. It's, you know, 100% more, but okay. And then he's like, I'll have six. Yeah. <laughs> you can have four. But I actually six. think for him that is a good compromise. I think that is a good compromise. Anyways, uh, and granted, keep in mind that this man is talking about tall boys, all right? Yeah. So this guy's legend. He's yeah. not it's tall boys. Again, not a passerby. Next. Let's keep rolling. Well, four is a fair number. But it there is. shouldn't even be guidelines anyway. What 100%. are you going to tell me how much I can drink at home? Yeah. Well, I guess the idea is would you be concerned that you're at a higher health risk if you're drinking too much? No. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's the, the main point here is why are they telling me what I can drink at home? What can yeah. I have uh, two liters of pop? Can That's I have two liters part. of pop? <laughs> well, what's more healthy? Four beers or two liters of Coca-Cola? Pause. Two- <laughs> Uh, I actually just stepped on him, his best line. Damn it. <laughs> but I will say that he literally just put all those people that did the study in a pretzel. Oh, yeah. He body bagged them. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. all those people who did the study, hang your head low. How are you going to wriggle out of that one? No, this man, he just <laughs> pummeled you <laughs> with that one. Let's, let's keep it going because he, that he closes off with this perfect line. Do the math. Boom. So I'm guessing that the yeah. information about the new guidelines isn't going to change your it, It's heartbreaking, and I can't even believe it. Yeah. <laughs> but clip that. So clearly there's a little bit of uh, he's it, it, there's something lost in translation. He's a passionate man, and when we get passionate about the things that we love, we can get a little confused, all right? Or we can say things. I, I think clearly that in the past few years with all the mandates that have happened, all of the government encroachment on our lives, mm-hmm. you can understand why this man's a little defensive about being asked these questions, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm already going home with my six <laughs> Bud Light tall boys. It's already, it's already right. And Bush Light. Light. Yeah. <laughs> I have already done my part. <laughs> and now you're telling me this is bad? I've been doing my so I think yeah there's clearly a little bit of confusion with between what like a guideline is and yeah a mandate or a recommendation or whatever he thinks is kind of going on here but it's heartbreaking yeah it, it breaks my heart but by the way it comes he from so I found where it comes from it's the Canadian Center of Substance Use and Addiction they just released a a guideline for the first time in a decade that says two drinks a week yeah that's their big thing okay keep it going Austin More. Austin. <laughs> Play the clip, Austin. Okay. Rock and roll! All right. oh, wait a minute. You can't handle the tooth. Play that part again. <laughs> this is his sign-off. You can't handle the tooth. But I love how he says, wait. Like, he says rock and roll, and then he says, wait, because he knows roll! he can do better. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, wait a minute, I forgot. Yeah. I forgot that I have a I need a better sign off than that. I have a different tooth. <laughs> and then he rolls it out. Anyway, I love that man. Uh, I want those drops basically sprinkled through the show. And yeah, if you're any friend of mine, you'll be getting text messages from me that uh, involve that man saying, anyway, he's just, he's bang on. And the, the thing about the pop versus the drinks. Again, just a killer, just a killer point. But I got to say, this man needs to look out for Big Soda now. 100%. <laughs> Big Soda. 100%. Big Soda. You like, if he sees a van parked outside of his house late at night. Pepsi Coast, come yeah, on. Yeah, like, be aware. Stay alert. Be safe. Anyway, again, I love this man. I can't wait for him. We gave way too much. We've given way too much credit to certain, you know, Ontario celebrities in this regard. Mm-hmm. All right. This man earned his stripes. Deserves it. Yeah, he 100%. deserves he deserves the credit. Do the math. Yeah. Jersey, do the math. Jersey getting retired. <laughs> yeah. It's hundred percent. Do the math, people. Um this weekend in football sucked. Mm. Yeah. You did. you kinda called it, unfortunately. I did. I okay, I was right about a lot of things. First of all, I'm pretty sure our show went perfect on our best bets. Yeah, on Friday. Cross the board, Friday, crush. Absolute crush joint. Mm-hmm. I said Boston Scott, anytime touchdown, plus three seventy. That's big. Bang. Nailed it out of the park. Yep. 
We also had the Bengals. We had Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Travis it. Kelsey over. Mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey anytime touchdown. Mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts anytime touchdown. Mm-hmm. Like, go on down the line. And then I topped it off by saying, I think this is going to be a beatdown weekend where we get three blowouts in one close game. And that's yeah. exactly what happened. It just it felt very predictable. Also, I'm sorry, Bills fans. I put a very heavy wager on the Bengals when it was 14-0 because the, the lines were nuts. Yeah. The, the books did not abandon <laughs> the Bills early. Do you know what the yardage total was in the first quarter? In the first quarter. Don't look it up. Guess. Knocking it up. Uh, yeah. Bengals. I'm not asking you that as a question of Bengals research. Bengals 100, Bills 20. Mm, Bills 8. Oh, <laughs> 8. Bengals 165. Oh. This game was over in the first oh. quarter. Yeah. And anybody who's ever watched a lick of football knew exactly where this game was headed. And I bought it at minus 125 when the Bengals were up 14 nothing. Minus Bengals, 125? Yes. When the Bengals got the ball back with the opportunity to go up 21 to nothing which I, again, I bought it again because I thought if they do score here, mm-hmm. then the game is truly over. Yeah. It was minus 200. Jeez. It was an insane price throughout the vast majority of the game. Halftime, same thing. You could just minus 188 at the half. Jeez. The Bills scored. That catch that the NFL, I'm sorry, Bills fans. I'm, I'm not, I don't mean <laughs> to kick you in the teeth today because today sucks. And yeah. you thought you were the team of destiny and you had that rolling. And then there were a lot of red flags throughout the last couple of weeks of the season. Yep. And we discussed them and we went over them. Mm-hmm. But the NFL was trying to help you win and trying to help you stay in that ball game. Cause 100%. that Jamar chase that was a catch. touchdown was a catch. A and catch. then the Josh Allen, uh, incomplete pass was a hundred percent of fumble. Like fumble. both of those plays, the NFL <laughs> went up to the booth and went, uh, uh, we're going to just, uh, yeah, not a catch, uh, three, incomplete pass. three feet down. And, and there's nothing funnier than letter of the law. People like the people that got in my Twitter mentions going, um, actually, well, that's just the rule. And he bobbled it and, but you got to maintain control through the catch. I went please stop this i'm <laughs> begging you it. and and the worst part about this rule why they really do need to change it is the ball doesn't touch the ground like i would actually no. get it if he's bobbling it out of bounds and the ball touches the ground and you go okay like but this is a just a horrific rule yeah. and i thought that for them to say that was conclusive was outrageous yeah that was the fixes in yeah so the nfl was on the side of the bills the officials as Warren Sharp outlined, they gave the number one home team ref to the Bills. The Bengals were down three offensive linemen in that game. Mm-hmm. And they whooped ass. <laughs> Their line play was and, ridiculous. And it wasn't close. And I, like, I went on breakfast television with Sid this morning, mm-hmm. and I said it. Sorry, Bills fans, but like, this just was not about you. This was about the Cincinnati Bengals war machine. Mm. This is about Joe Burrow, who completely outclassed my guy, Josh Allen. Like, Josh Allen made that one spectacular throw in that game to Gabe Davis where Mm -hmm. I went, holy crap. But where was Superman in this one? Like, it was weird because we've been kind of criticizing him about turning the ball over too much and how he's been too aggressive and trying to do too much. And then in this game, it kind of felt like he couldn't do anything at all. Where was was it with the legs? It was the reverse. Like, it just... Uh, the Bengals' defensive game plan was brilliant. Like, it yeah. was the only thing Tony Romo actually spoke on <laughs> about the Bengals that was good because Romo was just so busy just kissing Josh Allen. Like, oh, I love Josh Allen. Oh. Th- Tony Romo put it together, an all-time horrific performance. I got to go through my Twitter and make sure. Like, 
when you're a 19 year old kid and you get your first job and you got to go through mm-hmm. your social media and delete all your potential <laughs> communications with your friends. A few with Romo tweets. I, I got to get rid of all my Romo evidence of being a fan of his. Like he's my evidence. least favorite analyst oh, in no. professional sports. Give me Dungey and Michaels over that. Like it's insufferable. Yeah. He just, he picks one thing that he's excited about, about the game. And in this case, it was Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. And that's all he would talk about the entire time. Like Pretty the much. Bengals are on the field. Joe Burrow's carving him up. And he's just like, I can't wait to watch Josh Allen. <laughs> <laughs> it's just. Bills get the ball back yeah. in a couple minutes. Oh, this game see Allen is, Cook. I, I, I love how these broadcasters during this game feel the need to try to sell us on the product as we're watching it. Yeah, like we're it's watching. not over. We're already watching. Hey, like, we're all st- gambling on this stuff now. <laughs> we're still okay? here. We're watching the game. Romo also does the thing like three times a game where, you know, it'll be like third and eight in the second quarter. Like, big play here, Jim. Oh, big yeah, play. And it's like, man, it's, come on. We're watching. Every, every so single early. drive is like a win it or die moment for <laughs> like, him. I can't take it. How, I many can't. Times, how many times did he call uh, Josh Allen an alien yesterday? Like, the alien's oh going to bring goodness. him back in this game. Alien, alien, alien. I was like, See, uh, but first Buffalo's of all, not out of this game. I'm at odds with the people who call Josh Allen the alien because I have always called him the mutant. Mm. And I think mm. mine is better. I do. I think the mutant why, is why better. Why is that? The mutant just, is better than Alien? Yeah, I just feel like he's a mutant. Like, he is just a mutant. He is a big mutant. And True. I never think about him as the alien. Anyway, um, that was just a... The Bills were worse everywhere in that game. Yeah. And and this, this is... If you're a Bills fan, you feel fine in the sense of you still have Josh Allen, the mutant, the alien, whatever you want to call him. Mutant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see? He's a mutant <laughs> on the show. Free agency, for the most part, most of the team's coming back. Yeah. It's basically, they've got to hand, they've got to make a couple of tough decisions. Damn it, I wrote it down somewhere, now I don't know which uh, document it's in. But I'm pretty sure that their only big guys are Poyer and Edmonds. Those are the two that are the big name free agents for them. They would probably like to bring those guys back. Their cap situation is a bit difficult. They have all their draft picks. They should be spamming their defense because I think that you saw it in that game. They're they're still missing some. Their defense was banged up, so they do get some reprieve there. But they need some more speed on the defense. They need some more pass rush. They need a little bit better in the front seven. You watch that Niners game with the way their linebackers fly around. Yeah, That's not how you feel watching the Bills. You never really felt like... Joe, it's it's a real indictment of your football team when three backups are in the game and they're pushing you up front yeah. and they're protecting Burrow and giving him enough time. And yeah, Burrow was getting out the ball quick and I thought Zach Taylor put together a terrific game plan. He completely eviscerated the Bills defensive plan yeah. that Leslie Frazier tried to put together. It was just not, it was not, uh, it wasn't feasible. Yeah, no, <laughs> so it wasn't feasible. It's not feasible. It was not, it was, this is not where it wasn't doable. Um, but that was pretty tough. I yeah. thought the defensive line, and people mentioned the Von Miller thing. I was like, how many points do you think Von Miller's worth? Like, yeah. what did you think Von Miller was going to do in that football game? <laughs> maybe uh, one score, yeah. maybe? No. <laughs> it's, yeah. Von Miller wasn't going to change that game. They got to go into the offseason. They've got to spam the defense with picks. Mm-hmm. They've got to try to potentially, I still think, add a running back. It just it feels like a dimension of their team that they've been missing year over year over year. Yeah. And I get, like, the whole just give Josh Allen the rock all season long, but that's going to start to take its toll. Yep. And especially as he gets older, you'd like to be able to have somebody who can run between the tackles. And they never really had that. Yep. They never had that in that game. And that Naheem Hines comes back on a deal for next season and you've got Cook. So Singletary's got to walk. He's a free agent. Yep. But I didn't add him in the 
players of consequence because I just don't think Singletary is. Singletary, he yeah. is a free agent. <laughs> yeah, he's not that good. Yeah. Um, I just, I think that they're going to need to, this is what the Bills are going to do. They're going to hire a defensive coordinator. Leslie mm-hmm. Frazier era is going to be done. Yep. I'm curious to see if their OC, Ken Dorsey, gets snatched up and what happens there mm-hmm. because it's been documented fairly recently that the big difference with Josh Allen was this year he wouldn't throw the ball away. Yeah. Whereas in years with Dayball or the year before with Dayball anyways, when the play was broken or not there, he would throw it away. He trusted his offensive coordinator. He trusted the way that they were doing things this year. Josh Allen just felt like he had to do too much yeah. start to finish. So he tried to force too many balls in the tight windows or held onto the ball too long instead of throwing it away. And it resulted in a lot of turnovers, yeah. seven within the 20, which yeah. again was too worse than any other team combined. Yeah. Um, I just... This is a tough one for them because up to the, at the point of that Chiefs game, they really did look like the class of the AFC. Mm. They had this real momentum coming off of that last offseason. They added Von Miller. Everyone was so high on the Bills. I understand just like how Bills fans feel. I don't think that the window is over, but it was kind of a reminder watching that Bengals team like, all right, Joe Burrow is not Peyton Manning. You know, he's not out there on his last hurrah. This isn't the... That's not a team like the LA Rams that went to the Super Bowl last year where it was a clear, yeah. okay, this is a two-year window just, team. That team's not going anywhere. Yeah, just throw away the future to win for LA. Mahomes is hurt, and it's going to be interesting to see how well he recovers because high ankle sprains, like, yeah, yeah, it's that's not going to get better as the week goes on. No, it's like multiple weeks. Yeah, yeah he's talking about treatment and the extra day, and I went, bro, you are grasping <laughs> at straws. But yeah. I get it, and he'll probably put something together because he's Mahomes, but Mahomes isn't going anywhere. And, yeah, I just – I feel for Bills fans a little bit because that was just embarrassing. Like, they whooped your ass, and I can I can kind of feel how with that fan base, there was this real rising momentum of we're changing, we're different, oh, my God, this new Buffalo Bills, we're yeah. making the playoffs. And then you look at it and you go, well, the Chiefs have been to five straight AFC championship games now. Yep. And now the Bengals are go- have gone to two straight yeah. AFC championship games and you kind of feel like the ugly stepchild again. Even mm-hmm. when you're hot, you're out. And it just feels a little bit like the franchise. Anyway, that sucks. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, more football talk later. Uh, we'll hit on everything with Greg Jennings. But, yeah, I just – I could not be more impressed by the Bengals. Like, it just – for them, <laughs> yeah. everything. The, the offensive scheme, the defensive schemes – just their quarterbacks play mm-hmm. the catches. Some of their receivers make like even just like the T Higgins one on the sideline where he pulls yep. it in with one hand, Hayden Hurst, their tight end leaping over guys, just a brilliant Joe Mixon pushing the pile, just driving yep. his legs all game long. Their defense, Eli Apple never really getting torched. <laughs> Stephon Diggs, <laughs> really just, legend. <laughs> but it was just like, they just made plays all game yeah. long. They had pressure. How many times is Hendricks coming off the edge where you felt like, Oh, oh my how many goodness. times if there's one credit to Josh Allen, it was how awesome he was in terms of he would get touched by somebody in the pocket and just break through it and still be able to make oh, yeah. his play downfield. Yeah. That was yeah. the one thing for him. Anyway. How nuts is it? It feels like it was so long ago that the Bengals, like the Bengals started 0-2 and everyone was talking about like, ah, oh, Super Bowl hangover, like, you know, yeah. maybe it was a mirage last year or whatever, like... They look anyway, unreal. I have always believed in the Bengals, as is evident by my 22-1 to Super Bowl <laughs> preseason bet. Hey-o. Before the season. Thought they were disrespected. That line, by the way, goes down as an all-time horrific. Yeah, twenty-two line. to one. This is, is this bad. is a reminder that when when we kind of because we I have confirmation bias on the show where a line looks fishy. We do fishy lines. Yeah, yeah. and then it works out that way, and I go, ha ha! <laughs> I told you, Vegas knew <laughs> this. This one, yeah, 
Uh, Vegas didn't know. No, they didn't. everyone thought the Bills were the team of destiny, and then the Bengals went in there and absolutely smacked them. Yeah. I love that the Bengals have this chip on their shoulder, too. Like, Zach Taylor's talking about them after the game, how they spoiled the plans. It doesn't appear that any of the Bengals players know that they sell tickets yeah. to all these things ahead <laughs> yeah, of time. Yeah, yeah, I know. But, hey, whatever motivates you. Nobody tell the Bengals. Yeah. Or all the Chief fans should be telling Bengals fans, like, hey, actually, you guys sold tickets, too. They were uh, selling tickets to all yeah. potential matchups. Yeah. Um, couple hockey things. I did Leafs talk Saturday night. Um, I only had – I had one eye on the Leafs game, and then – Thankfully, the football game that was across from the Leafs became a disaster, which allowed <laughs> me to actually focus on the Leafs. A yeah. couple things from the Leafs. And then we're going to take a break, and I'm going to bring in Thomas Drance, host of uh, Canucks Talk on SN 650, because I'm, I'm totally fascinated by what's going on in Vancouver. And, I, and yeah. I think that every fan should be able to relate to what's going on here. And, you know, Bruce Boudreau, I do think from Ontario perspective, is like one of our own. And mm-hmm. he just loved the cross hockey and what mm-hmm. happened to him. I think like you'd have to be a heartless ghoul not to empathize with yeah, Bruce yeah. Boudreaux. But for the Leafs, and these are going to be some things I expand on um, over the next little bit. There's some trade rumors with them. Our boys, Frank Cervelli, maybe we'll end up getting him on this week or we'll talk to some people about his linking of the Toronto Maple Leafs to Jake McCabe, who somebody who's top pairing guy, left shot, which yeah, like, okay. I still think that they could use a right shot guy, but either way, left shot D, Plays on the top pairing. Makes only four million bucks. You get them to eat some money. Be a pretty decent player to add. I'm starting to think, though, based on some of these reports, and yeah, when you're kind of putting the puzzle pieces together, the Gavrikovs, the McCabe's, those are the kind of players that I, I, I feel like Leaf fans should get accustomed to. That them doing the super splashy thing, I don't think that it's off the table necessarily. Like they wouldn't do something that involves the first or they wouldn't do something that involves... Um, Matthew Nyes, which is really like the organization's only prospect of consequence. But it's just hard for me to see what that deal is right now based on the players that are out there, the names that are out there, and so forth and so on. But Mm -hmm. the the big story from the weekend for me is that Ilya Samsonov is quietly putting together just like a a much better campaign than Matt Murray. And and I know that most Leaf fans wouldn't feel that way because they would go, Matt Murray's been great. Why would you be saying this? He's up for, he should be one of the comeback players here. Yeah, two things can be true. Matt Murray Mm -hmm. can be having a good season. He can be exceeding expectations. But... Ilya Samsonov is is doing even more than that. So if you look at goals saved, like this is a his play alone as of late has pretty clearly been better. They've altered their plan, which is something that I really didn't think that the Leafs were going to do too much of, especially for Samsonov. I thought that he would have to be spectacular for them to kind of move off of this basic split between these two goaltenders. Um, I'm assuming Matt Murray is going to get the net tonight because that's just too many days off for him. Mm-hmm. But Samsonov looks like he's going to kind of get to run with this a little bit now. Wouldn't be surprised if he gets the the Wednesday game, the, the Saturday game. Like, there's a little bit of rolling into this. But if you look at the metrics, and this is the, some of these things I, I've always been a little suspe- or suspicious of when it comes to, like, the pure validity of them. But Ilya Samsonov is 11th in goals saved above expected. Um, 11 of them, 11 goals saved above expected. And, and granted, this is something like you, I think the Leafs will be evaluating throughout the years that Matt Murray is the steadier guy with the pedigree and that the Leafs keep t- most teams to the outside. And Matt Murray's done a terrific job of not letting in bad goals, but Matt Murray in the same category is 
Again, a good season in the top 20, right? Top 20 goaltenders. Matt Murray this season. Good problem to have. Yep. But Ilya Samsonov has just been markedly better. Um, per 60, goals saved above expected per 60. And this is via moneypuck.com. Ilya Samsonov is essentially making uh, every two games a save that keeps a, a puck out of the net. Versus with Matt Murray... Um, and I should puck out of the net. That's a bad way of putting it, but like <laughs> one that's expected to be a goal. Matt Murray, once every five games. Mm-hmm. I think that Samsonov is the more athletic goaltender. He yep. looks like he's playing with a lot of confidence. This goaltending battle is far, far, far from decided. Part of me even was not even going to bring it up today because what's the point when this is going to come down to the end and both guys could end up playing in the playoffs? But like... It's very, very realistic that that ends up being the case, right? The Leafs have one bad game with the goaltender. They switch to the other guy or maybe whatever. Yeah. But either way, it's just this one guy is working out incredibly well. I think that he's playing a little bit better than the market is giving him credit for. Anyway, um, this market has been kind to, uh, to their team compared to Vancouver. Um, <laughs> let's talk to Thomas Drantz, host of Canucks 650, about, oh, my God, the tire fire. And uh, who better to speak to than him, a former PR guy? who can talk about the spin that this, that this organization is trying to do. That's next. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. So, I think that Vancouver, has, the, the fan base has gotten a bit of a bad rap over the last couple of seasons. Um, but they've been going through it these last couple of weeks, and it's been so ugly that I, so I like I love a good Canadian sports rivalry, right? Like I love going on Halford and Bro, and chopping up with those guys, and just joking about hating each other's teams, and how you know Toronto and Vancouver how this. It's been so ugly and so bad that you you put it aside and you go like, yeah, hope things get better for you guys soon. That's actually the worst. That's the worst thing that can happen to you, right? Is like that's like when the Leafs blew it to Montreal, and I had friends of mine reaching out, going like, "Hey, man, that sucks. <laughs> that sucks." And I went, "Don't don't talk to me like that. <laughs> like, I don't need your help." For you. <laughs> anyway, there's no better guy to talk about um, what's been going on in Vancouver for the last well months, um, years, <laughs> but more specifically the last couple of weeks where it's really heated up um, than Thomas Trance. He uh, of Canucks Talk on SN650, just absolutely crushing it with a ton of really great articles and pounding the a lot of great lines in his pieces on the athletic too. Like, hold on, I actually screenshotted a couple of them because I want to have these uh, down. Uh, this is this is a good way. Sometimes it feels like the Vancouver Canucks are engaged in a decade-long war with reality. I like that one. That was a good line. Um, anyways, Thomas Drance, a former PR guy, so perfect to discuss to, and a guy who knows this market very well. Uh, writer for the Canucks. What's up, buddy? How we doing? Oh, I'm doing well. Yeah. Well, it's been a weekend. It's been a weekend in this city. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been a decade, but it's certainly yeah. been a weekend. <laughs> and uh, look, it's, it's just baffling. Like, it's yeah. just baffling that things have played out in exactly this manner. Y- you know, and you, it's one of those things where the Canucks have underperformed, right? Like, they're not good in my mind, but they're not this bad either in terms of the talent level on this roster, how good they should do. No one would begrudge the team making a coaching change, considering how the team has performed, considering that the coach was hired before the hockey operations group was. It's just that it went down in such an odd, slow, 
ugly way that, that just honestly, it doesn't compute. Like it doesn't square with the experience level of Jim Rutherford mm-hmm. and the what, what this hockey operations was group was supposed to be in terms of polish and professionalism, uh, particularly in the wake of, you know, a, a, a Jim Benning era that lasted too long. Um, the mistakes were so plentiful and, and it, and it sort of gets to this nerve in this marketplace where, you know, for too long, this organization was resistant to make a change that was so obvious to everyone else in the hockey world. The change was made and the way the organization is functioning under, you know, what the most successful general manager of the cap era. I mean, that's, that's who Rutherford is, right? Like he's won three cups since 2005, since the hard cap came in. Mm-hmm. And, and so to make that change, to bring in the guy and then to have the club's actions sort of be consistent <laughs> with everything that Canucks fans were so out on in the previous regime. And I mean, arguably worse. I think that's, I think that's why you're seeing Canucks fans be so punchy, be so upset, mm-hmm. be so frustrated with how everything's played out this season, culminating in a weekend that, you know, was remarkable, unprecedented. No one's ever seen anything like it. Yeah. Uh, I think, too, when you're a sports fan, it's especially disheartening when you feel like things are predictable and predictable in a bad way. And now, even right. even with what you've been writing about and the general sentiment out of Vancouver is that, they're going to basically continue to double down on the same thing. Like it's been the same approach with a different front office. And now it seems to be like some improvement around the edges, but not a rebuild, which a lot of fans seem to be clamoring for. Seems like the Bo Horvat trade, they're going to want pieces back that can help them win now rather than just like long-term better suited assets. Um, and yeah, I guess how, how does this happen? Because you're right. Jim Rutherford is so great. And I'm watching the clips from his media conference yesterday and I thought, again, you pointed it out well that he starts okay with the apology and then he starts spinning it into like, it's actually just because I'm too honest and this is no different than any other situation. And you're going like, what, what's happening now? Wait, what's going on? And it just felt like, yeah, one bad thing after another. And so how, how do these two things, how do all these things tie in together is basically what I'm asking. Is this an ownership issue? Like, is this just people who like mainstays that continue to be around the club? How, how does this keep happening in the same way? Well, it's impossible to separate the ownership factor, particularly given that Boudreaux was a Canucks ownership hire, right? I mean, mm-hmm. in that same answer that you're talking about, right? One thing Rutherford points out is, you know, when the club fired Travis Green, there was speculation around his sort of future, his job security, and ownership was talking to Bruce Boudreaux, right? And he even said that directly, right? Like, everyone knows this, but Boudreaux was an ownership hire, right? He came in, and the next day the club elevated Stan Smeal to be sort of an interim head of hockey operations and told this fan base that they'd have a lengthy search for a new hockey operations leader. And and three days later, they hired Jim Rutherford, which, you know, at the time didn't cause anyone to really bat an eyelash or, or, you know, no one one furrowed their brow because Jim Rutherford was a no-brainer, given the resume, given what he'd accomplished. But... You know, it was odd. <laughs> like, the whole thing was odd to, to tell a fan base, Mark, like, you know, straight up, we're going to launch a lengthy, thorough process to evaluate a new head of hockey operations leadership and then deliver that 
head of hockey operations 72 hours later was odd. So, it, yeah, it's impossible to separate Canucks ownership. And this, and this sort of also comes back to something I touched on at length this weekend, which is, I mean, this team has now had three separate head coaches in 14 months, which is always a bad sign, right? Uh, it's a sign that you probably don't have a firm grasp on what reasonable expectations for the roster you've assembled are. If everyone's failing to meet your expectations, the issue might be yours, your expectations, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing, but go back even further and you've got, you know, a long list of people, good people and, and hockey people of various quality who've sort of left this organization diminished in terms of their reputation mm -hmm. with their humanity challenged, right? In controversial sort of fashion dating back a decade, you've got, yep. you know, Mike Gillis, but you've also got Lawrence Gilman, Elaine Vigneault. You've got Newell Brown, who the organization's hired and, and fired twice, despite him always running a pretty good power play. Uh, then you've got Trevor Linden. You've got, you know, this club's had, four different heads of business operations since Victor DeBonis, who's doing a pretty good job running the Seattle Kraken, departed the organization in, I think it was 2017. Um, Jim Benning, his lieutenants, you know, all the fallout of the pandemic and this organization significantly reduced its workforce during that time period as well. Um, you know, right through to what we saw with Bruce Boudreaux. And it's one thing for the, it's one thing for Bruce Boudreaux's situation to have played out in this manner, but for it to feel like the culmination or like the apex version of something we see regularly out of this franchise, I think that's where fans are sort of wondering, you know, if it's fixable. Yeah. Given who owns this team. Yeah. See now, now that's the big question, right? And I really did think about just you in, in terms of, the PR aspect of this, right? They they all of a sudden... I thought that this announcement was supposed to come on a Monday. They rush it on to an NFL Sunday where it's pretty busy. Like, I had no idea this was even happening. And, and granted, I'm not a Canucks writer. Um, I don't live in the market, but I'm, I open up sports.ca and the Canucks, like, there's the talkit picture. I went, oh, I thought this was a, a Monday thing. The Brujo thing seemed to be expedited slightly. We all knew that he had been um, playing his last game or coaching his last game. But all of this seems just so bad. Every piece of it seems so awful. All of the stuff that you detail. And then I was actually pretty struck by your assertion in your piece that Boudreaux is the most popular head coach among Canucks fans since Pat Quinn. I went, holy crap, I guess that's true when I started to think about it. But yeah, like... <laughs> oh, it's, it's unrivaled. It's not close. And yeah. here's, you know, I mean, here's a sad fact. If they'd fired Boudreaux a week ago, mm -hmm. or, or considering that Vancouver plays both Columbus and Chicago this week, uh, after this week, um, he probably would have been second all time among Canucks coaches in terms of his points percentage behind the bench. I mean, mm. you know, performance wise, right? The, this team got 113 points and 50 wins in their last 103 games. That's despite winning just two of their last 10. Um, you know, it's hard to argue that he should have gotten more out of this roster, right? Like, mm. the, that's a 90-point that's a per 82-game pace. That's about what the Canucks are. That's like, that, that makes sense. You look at this roster up and down, it's like, yeah, they're a fringe playoff team. Well, yeah. 90 points in 82 games, it's fringe playoff team territory. So 
all of that makes sense. Um, you know, Boudreaux resonated in this market, and he resonated in this market because he was, you know, he, he certainly presents himself anyway as a, a, a kind person, and he is a kind person. Like, he's a good person, and he's a good hockey coach. And, you know, I say that despite the fact that, in a lot of ways, he's not a guy who operates a bench in a way that, like, me as a reporter, mm-hmm. me as someone who, who spends a lot of time looking at, you know, how a coach matches up. Like, you know, he wasn't a coach that I sort of was over the moon about because in some ways, Boudreaux succeeds because he plays an up-tempo team or an up-tempo style and gives his players the freedom to sort of manage things on, on their own, right? And and to me, anyway, I've always been like, ah, I don't know if that's detailed enough. Like, mm-hmm. uh, he knows one big thing as opposed to lots of little things. Um, I'm also really cynical, and so I didn't necessarily like vibe with Bruce Boudreaux personally because he's such a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, so, I get that. You know, you know, I, I'm not saying this from a place where I'm like biased toward him at all, mm-hmm. but clearly the record speaks for itself. He's the second winningest head coach in, in NHL history, right? Yeah. Like it's Scotty Bowman and then it's Bruce Boudreaux in the regular season. Um, so, you know, to treat someone – to treat someone as good as Bruce Boudreaux is behind a bench and as a human being, I think made it more galling, particularly given his success in this market, particularly given that he'd resonated so forcefully with a fan base that's been so beleaguered, right? Like a lot of the confidence um, that, that I think this management group enjoyed in their first cycle, mm-hmm. right? Some of the positivity around this team was effectively reflected because of Boudreaux's results when he first took over for green during the, you know, winter last season, right? Like there, there was a lot of feeling in this market over the last, you know, not the last four months, but before that for about a year yeah. that, I, you know, I, I think really was sourced pretty directly with Boudreaux himself. Yeah. Well, I can tell you having, you know, met him many times um, and you use this word in one of your columns is that he's genuine and that that is a hundred percent true. He is obviously very well liked and well respected around hockey, but just in, as a person, he is who he presents himself to be. And, and I think that that's why this struck such a hard chord um, around hockey is that it's a, it's a lifer. It's one of the good guys. And it's someone who, yeah, like, dude, you, you mentioned it. it he never felt like he was going to be the coach of the Canucks for the next 15 years, right? He's uh, almost, he's almost 70 years old. He jumped in what felt like as a stopgap measure. You mentioned it. He wasn't Rutherford's hire. There were all these different reasons, but God, it was just so bad. And yeah, the presentation of this has been so poor and it continues to just kind of snowball. And now there's not real faith from the market. And like, yeah, again, you are a former PR guy. How, how do they spin this? Like, how, how does this get any better? It, it really does feel like talk is so now behind the eight ball in terms of his perception with the fan base that the faith seems to be at an all-time low. Like, how, how does this start to get better? Where does this begin? Well, it was deeply unfair. I, I mean, Tockett was in such an unfair spot yesterday, right? He just Awful. was so far from the focus of the questioning, you know, where questions would and, – and to his credit, right, like it felt like a normal press conference when Tockett was speaking and being introduced, right? So at the very least, if you watched it, I don't think you come away with a negative impression of him, I don't think fan, like this is this is how I would be calculating no, it a as a guy. PR guy, right? Yeah. So like I don't think he comes off negatively for his role in that in that 
presser or for, for the last week. Um, you know, I, I think there are some Canucks fans who are already like, he, he's definitely getting some refracted criticism and, and that's a tough way to start out, particularly given that a new coach tends to come in with a fair bit of hope in any market, right? Uh, fans often invest uh, some of their ambitions in, in a, a new coach. Uh, I don't think Rutherford, or I don't think Tockett's going to get full benefit of that because of the situation. So that's tough, but it's also short-lived anyway. You know that that like honeymoon doesn't really matter uh, if a if a coach doesn't deliver results. Fundamentally, their reputation, their view, their standing in the market is going to be based on how the team performs on ice. So. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, I think Tockett's going to be okay. Like, I don't think he's going to be in the in the muck as a result of this overall. Though I do think it it diminishes sort of the the Q rating bump that you'd expect from a from a coach coming in. I, I think the bigger question is management, right. and you know, like at this point in this market, and it's been a long time to get there. We've almost hit this moment of consensus where fans in Vancouver, commentators in Vancouver, like it's pretty rare. It's it's become a hot take in this market to suggest that this team can build like a, a, a really meaningful contending team around this core group anyway. Mm-hmm. Right? Like most most fans in this market want to see this team accept that there are no shortcuts to building a, a contender and, and go launch something along the lines of what the Montreal Canadiens have done this season, yeah, right? And, Where, and we can relate to that here in Toronto, right? Because this was the oh, yeah. longest thing forever was during the early parts of the cap era, Toronto kept running out rosters that I, I don't want to say are similar to Mont- or sorry to Vancouver's because Vancouver actually has like some young, exciting talent. But for the most part, it was a lot of years where Toronto was just trying so desperately to be what you said, a fringe playoff team. And over and over and over again, it was departing of first round picks and no real player development and just the way that they had used to done things. And then finally they get the rebuild and the teardown and it results in having a group of players that like, yeah, they've never had a group of players like this in a non-original six era in terms of talent across the league. And it has worked out for them. So you can empathize with fans. And it did get to a point where um, I I think the thing you fear as a fan is you can always have anger. And it does feel that way with Canucks fans right now. Like there's anger, but you don't want to transition into the point of apathy. And and I wonder if that's where the the market is right now. Like, has it ever been lower than this? Well, it, it, anecdotally, anecdotally, Canucks fans are comparing this to like 1998 and the Keenan Messier, the Canucks traded Linden yeah. sort of season. But you look at the building on Friday and Saturday when the Canucks played back to back and granted against marquee opponents, right? The defending cup champions on Friday and then McDavid's Edmonton Oilers on Saturday. And there's 18,000 people in the building having fun. So, you know, I I think before we get to a point where we're talking about the organization playing with fire in terms of fan base apathy, I think there, there, there has to be, a little bit more to point to in terms of the market being out. Yeah. I mean, right now, right now you, you go and check out how many people are discussing this situation and still paying to go to games and, you know, the reception that Boudreaux got. I mean, that's not the reception of a market that's feeling apathetic about their team. You know, mm-hmm. after a home loss 
in that situation, you know, 18,000 or, I mean, I guess there were about 5,000 Oilers fans there, but 13,000 strong chanting, Bruce, there it is, a, a scene that looked almost like, like Boudreaux's final send-off from Canucks fans almost felt like a European soccer coach mm-hmm. at the end of a road game, like going over to the sort of road section and, and applauding the fans. Like it was unprecedented. That's not the sort of scene you get in a market that's feeling apathetic about a franchise, right? They yeah. might be mad, yeah. but I don't think they're feeling apathetic. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic to me, you know, the Toronto comparisons a, a really interesting one to those sort of early cap era teams for sure. But I, I sort of wonder if the comparison that's uh, that I'm thinking about um, a, a golden horseshoe comparison anyway, would, would more be like the Buffalo Sabres where the rebuild just wasn't working time after time after time, despite the club having some elite talent. Mm-hmm. And then what, what did it really take for that market to become hostile toward the team? It, it took sort of the face of that rebuild um, ab- abandoning the organization in some ways, right? Demanding a trade, not wanting to be there. Like once they were rejected by their players, that changed. And then you saw the empty building. I think it would take something like that too for the Canucks to get there. I don't, I don't know. I'm not saying we should expect it, but, uh, but I think that's sort of an instructive case study in, in terms of what it would take mm. for apathy to set into a market that's this robust and yeah. passionate about the sport. Yeah, I get that. I just I do also wonder how much of Vancouver, it just, it, it's like Toronto's an event city, right? You're always going to be able to sell Leafs tickets. You're always going to be able to sell the building. But it's about, yeah, the growth of your team. And yeah, especially as we get into more competitive entertainment dollars. Like I talk about this all the time in terms of just watching stuff. Think about all the things that um, we have now to watch that can occupy our, our time versus a hockey game. And and I, I don't know how much teams think about stuff like this in terms of down the line, the future future, or, um, yeah, how big of a deal this is to them. But, yeah, mm-hmm. we have just years of who cares about this. I think you see that a little bit of a ripple with this in terms of the Leafs right now. Again, a more competitive city in terms of there's just more uh, sport. There's more teams. Like There's more teams you can yeah. support. You can go to a Raptors game instead. But if you look at just like the age of people who love the Raptors more than Leafs or just as much, it's like a lot of people who grew up in the era of just the Leafs being completely irrelevant and not having any meaningful moments. Like, whereas at least with me, when I was in my most formative years, you know, 12 to 17 as a sports fan, the Leafs were at least competitive and going to, you know, conference finals and being interesting. And so, yeah, I, I do think that this stuff can have an effect that it, it does kind of ripple down the line and hit somewhere eventually. And and that's what I would worry about Canucks is just, Hey, do you always have that spot in the market? Will you always (laughs) have that draw or yeah, does this ever yeah reach a point where people go, yeah, I don't really care about the team that constantly does this. Like I keep thinking about what happens if Bo Horvat gets traded to the Bruins for crappy pieces and he wins a Stanley cup with them. Like how, how is that going to go over? You know, there's just little things. Yeah. No, the Bo Horvat analogy is a good one. Like you're, you're right to be thinking about that because, you know, I, I would say, I would say this franchise is so deeply rooted in terms of generational support, and in, additionally, you know, having not had a cup win in this marketplace, despite there being two, particularly in Alberta, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there not like a, here where we have cups, so many. <laughs> well, well, I mean, but but at least you have historic ones, right? Yeah, like at least no, you have banners. Yeah. Yeah, even though true. even though the Leafs haven't won a cup during the Canucks' 
franchise yeah, no, existence. No, yeah, listen, shh, let's not talk about how there was only six teams. It's fine. We still got them. There's <laughs> banners in there, okay? They're there. They are there. And it, and it does them. matter. It does matter. Like, at the end of the day, it does matter. I know it, I know it doesn't to anyone your age, right? But, I, but it does matter. And so for Canucks fans, there's a sense of fatalism around supporting this team anyway. You know, it's been ingrained over, over many years. I mean, this, this is the only franchise that's never won a cup to lose a, a game seven in the Stanley Cup final, right? Uh, and it's done it twice. Um, so it's truly, you know, the, the, the negative feeling, the, the sense that the shoe's going to drop, right? That, that's here anyway. That's here anyway, and I, I don't know that it impacts fan support. One interesting wrinkle in this, though, is, you know, you've got at the very top, the very apex of this 2023 draft class, uh, you know, the best prospect to ever come out of Western Canada. And oh, yeah. he, ha- he happens to be a North Van kid. He happens to be a giant Canucks fan, mm-hmm. right? And it's not just him. Like, there's four or five local kids, all of whom played spring hockey together. Team didn't lose for, like, six years in the province of British Columbia. Um, it's just, like, this, this bumper crop of high-end forward talent uh, coming into this draft class. All of them, all of them Vancouver, Vancouver-area kids. We've, mm-hmm. we've, we've never seen anything like it. Is it a coincidence that that is happening six, seven years after the Canucks were in their sort of golden era during the Sedin Sedin era, Mm. Um, making it to the 2011 Stanley Cup final. These kids would have been six or seven when that happened. Um, Maybe, maybe, but uh, you know, I I do think, I do think it matters. Like I do think that's all connected in terms of, you know, a higher level of energy around the sport and the market um, you know, w- what kids gravitate to, particularly high-end athletes, and, and sort of becomes a self-fulfilling thing. And certainly, certainly this last, like, we're now at a point where the Canucks haven't made the playoffs in a non-COVID season since 2015. Uh, this franchise hasn't hosted. There hasn't, there hasn't been a playoff home date in this market since then, since 2015. It's, you know, we're going on eight years. It's going to be nine years before that streak ends if they make the playoffs next year, which I doubt anyone's going to be picking. Right. And so that's also hanging over things, which sort of brings us back to Bo Horvat and the deadline. And the fact that I think more than anything, this week has just rattled the confidence that this new hockey operations group had enjoyed or like had in their pocket as they approach a, a couple of decisions that for Canucks fans, anyway, they're going to see as like tectonic. They're going to see as really crucial in terms of how this franchise moves forward and trading Bo Horvat, uh, particularly given that the club extended JT Miller effectively, like is seen to have made a choice between the two. One guy's been here for 10 years and is, is a, uh, you know, the captain of the team and has always carried himself a certain way. Um, that I think has earned him a, a lot of admiration, you know, to, to be in that spot. And, and now if the trade doesn't return a first round pick, for example, right? Like if the trade is returning NHL players or it's a win now trade for Bo Horvat, right? If they extend Andre Kuzmenko and the number seems high, you're, you're not going to have the same wiggle room. I think the organization's not going to have the same wiggle room to have that swallowed by a fan base that's already pretty skeptical 
about this organization's direction and now suddenly uh, also skeptical about this organization's ability to handle itself with polish while treating people right. Thomas Drance, uh, host of Canucks Talk on SN 650 and senior writer at The Athletic. Um, thanks so much for joining us. That was, yeah, terrific. And I think a really good insight into what is going on in that market. And uh, quickly, you have to believe stuff like that matters in terms of momentum of a market and what it means to growing sports and all of these different things moving forward. Um, yeah, and, and I always empathize. Even if it's Canucks fan, I, like, I always want the Leafs to beat the Canucks because I know that the Canucks, the only Stanley Cups are beating Toronto and that they view the rivalry as bigger than we do. And that's kind of fun, right? You get to do the big brother, little brother thing. But yeah, this, it's too low. Need them to be back up a little bit more than this. Quick break, come back, break down the weekend that was with Greg Jennings. All right, so yeah, like I said, I called it dud weekend in the NFL. We got all these games during wildcard weekend that everyone thought were going to suck, and then we got amazing games, comebacks, everything, whatever you want, it was all there. I said, ah, it's too much good. I'm not trustworthy of all the good that's happening. And then, yeah, we saw that materialize this weekend with only one close game. Um, and even that game, yeah, all right, whatever. Maybe Greg Jennings liked it. Super Bowl winner, Pro Bowl receiver. What's up, buddy? How you doing? What's happening? Um, that was a little disappointing. Uh, let's start with the Bills and the Bengals. That's where I started today. Um, let's start with this, dude. How... How were the Bengals so dominant in the trenches, especially with their offensive line, given that yeah, there were three backups in that game and a bunch of rookies, and it was the story all week long of, hey, Zach Taylor's going to have to just get the ball out quick. They're not going to be able to run the ball. They're not going to be able to hold on to it. Buffalo's going to – and then the entire game was just basically Burrow being – he only got hit three times in the entire game. Yeah, I think, I think we put a lot of uh, unnecessary focus on their offensive line and what they didn't have. And versus what the Buffalo Bills had shown they could be exposed to. Uh, you think about the, the times when the Miami Dolphins had success. We were all going into that game, wild card week. Like, if they can run the ball the way they did in the, the last game of the regular season, when Mostert averaged almost eight yards a carry, they rushed for the ball for over 150 yards, yada, yada, yada. Like, they can be run on. And we saw it. We just didn't think that it could happen because it was the Bengals, because Joe Burrow, they're going to throw the ball. The focus has always been on their passing game. Mm -hmm. They don't really lean into the run as much as they need to, and they did exactly that. They were so complimentary uh, being able to run the ball, what, 30 times and throw the ball. Like, I, they just they did a great job, man, on, on in all facets of their offense, I'll say. And, de and defense, clearly. Yeah, no, the defense was awesome. Like, it just, it felt like they were getting pressures on Allen from every different angle. And, yeah, all of the, their guys ended up stepping up. And, and I guess this is sort of the follow-up is, what, what did you make of Allen's performance in the Bills' offense? Because, yeah, it's only 10 points, and maybe they could have had more if the game script wasn't the exact, the way that it was where they were playing from so far behind. But overall, this is a guy who you and I have at times thought was the best quarterback in the NFL. And, like, it didn't look like that in that game. Like, Burrow looked, yeah, a lot better than him. Yeah, I said it earlier today. Like, for me, uh, I, I've seen a couple times last last week and this week now, mm -hmm. Josh Allen, there's this, there's this sense of I got to make the play myself. I got to do it myself. And there, it's almost like a, 
uh, a weight that he puts on himself that he he adds pressure and he doesn't always deliver. And when you have a, such a talented quarterback that can I, – I, I call those type of guys like snipers because there's a multitude of ways that they, they can shoot you and you don't know it's coming. Like the run game is barely extend plays, throw it from this hip, throw – throw it 70 yards like he can he can he can puncture your defense in several ways where Joe Burrow is the complete opposite he's an assassin man he lives in one lane he comes in one presentation every single time and you know he's going to come that way and he's still he's still going to impose his will like that was the difference for me when it comes to Josh Allen and Joe Burrow I thought Joe Burrow was the he he is the most composed in my opinion quarterback in all the football right now. What'd you make of the dig stuff? Like he he's obviously very visibly upset on the sideline. Uh, he's kind of yelling over at Josh Allen and the OC, and then reports are that he tried to leave early, like in his uniform, had to be brought back in by Duke Johnson, one of the backup running backs. I wasn't even aware it was still on the roster, and then still departs early. Is this just a competitor? This is a non-story or is this a, is this a something to you? Is this a warning sign for you? Uh, it's not a warning sign. You can't do it if you're digs, but it's not a warning sign. This is a competitor. He's frustrated, right? Like he, he wasn't, he wasn't utilized the way that he felt like he could have helped this team and put his team in a better position to win. There's nobody on that roster that wants to win more. There's nobody on that roster that cares about the guys more. Like, uh, we all know that, but at the same time, even with knowing that, you can't do that because it makes you look selfish. It makes you look like, what are we doing? I'm here, and we're not using me. Um, And the reality of it is, is, look, the Bengals' defense, (laughs) they just – they did a lot to take away what the Bills do well. Josh yeah. Allen getting trying to escape out of the pocket. They've had gap integrity. They did not let him do that. Like there was so much that again the Bills do very very well that the Bengals were like, okay, we cannot and we will not let them beat us this way. If they beat us, it has to be any other way other than digs or Josh getting outside the pocket and beating us with his legs. Yeah. And and honestly, it's hard for me to be too critical of the Bills because the Bengals were so damn good. It's just that, man, this was a team that we oftentimes talked about being the best team in the AFC, and we were looking at them after that Chiefs win like, hey, this these guys are this, – this feels like they're going to finally do it. This feels like they're going to get home field. This feels like they've got the guy – it feels like they've got the offense. It feels like they've got the pass rush. And yeah, for them, I, I know that they're down Vaughn Miller, but that's not the difference in this football game. And for them to be able to just generate no pressure on Burrow, I thought was real trouble sign for them to just basically have. Yeah. I think to be out coached that way, to be outplayed that way, every, every facet of the game, like even where it's Jamar chase and Joe Burrow, their connection, that was a catch, by the way, you can tell me if I'm wrong. That was nuts that they ended up overturning that. I'm sure you would have been just apoplectic if they decided to do that, but like every single thing was in the Bengals favor. And that's why I would feel disheartened. If I was a bills fan today, I'd be looking at this and going, boy, some of the things that we thought were true about our team ended up showing up in this game minus really the turnovers. Cause again, the one that Allen threw, I don't, I don't really think that one counts too much, but just man, how do we shore up getting beat every single way when we were at home against that Bengals team a year from now? Like that, that's the tough thing to see. 
Yeah, I mean, you 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 just laid it all out there. You're in your environment. It's snowy. It's it, everything sides and would get you to believe that oh, this is in favor of the Buffalo Bills. Um, but the Bengals. Joe Mixon said something a couple weeks ago, and <laughs> he he took some heat from for saying it. He stood in front of his locker and he said, "You know, I mean, we the big dogs of the AFC." I and <laughs> like. I, I remember saying it when he said it on one of the shows at Fox. Like, I, I love that he said it because they believe it. They don't yeah. just say it and not believe it. Like, they live that thing. Like, Joe Burrow, he, he says it. He, he executes it. He shows it. Like, they believe that they are the best team in the AFC, period. And the one team that they had not checked off was the Buffalo Bills. And so, like, for me, it's as shocked as I am as for, for the way they blew them out, mm-hmm. I'm not shocked that they played with such high confidence and belief in what they do and who they are. No, I love them. The, the swagger to that team is incredible. And I love that they use the chip on their shoulder stuff as they should. Like this season, during the preseason, the betting odds, they weren't even close. They weren't in the conversation with the Bills. They weren't in the conversation with the yep. Chiefs. They were further down. They had same Super Bowl odds like as the Bengals. And, yeah, they're dominant. And they, they're just a really, really great team. And they carried around where Zach Taylor's talking about how the league's got to refund the tickets and Joe Burrow starts with it. And yeah, Mixon has been vocal about it. I just, I love this Bengals team. I think that they're tough. I think they're resilient. I think they have swagger. I don't see them go anywhere. So their opponent next week in a game that would have been a lot better if Mahomes was going to be at a hundred percent. I don't know. Have you ever had a high ankle sprain before? Because yeah, the, I, I had one. Yeah, you have eh? because I, what my understanding of it is, is that it's actually an injury that gets worse as the week goes on, that it's like it's harder to play on the following week than like when you immediately injure it. Yeah, it's like it's like bruising your ribs. Like you, you can continue going, but the moment you relax and you, everything starts to kind of settle in, it scar tissue starts to build up, stiffness starts to happen in that ankle, and it's like you can't hardly put any pressure on it. Uh, I'm sure he's going to rest the entire week. But uh, he's in a position where, you know, he plays quarterback. And everybody talks about, you know, quarterbacks being protected. I, I will say this. If, this. if he played receiver or he played uh, running back or lineman, like, he's not playing. Like, mm-hmm. there, he would not. He would be so ineffective. But because he does play quarterback, he can still – we saw it. He can still get back there, tape it up, and be limited, not him full, his full self. And I think that's – more of the story for me is how how much we underestimate the mobility of Patrick Mahomes because of yep. his arm talent. Like he's a completely different player just sitting back there in the pocket versus being who he who we've come accustomed to seeing and, and believing and every single week. Like his legs are a huge part of what makes him so unique and special. Yeah, dude, 100%. And you could see it even when he was trying to plant to throw. He missed some wide-open throws that we're not accustomed to seeing Mahomes miss. His mobility is huge. And it just, think about that Bengals game that they just had. How many times Allen had to make an evasive maneuver to get the ball downfield because of the Cincinnati Bengals pass rush. Like, you're telling me Mahomes is going to be able to survive back there if that Bengals team draws up pressures the way that they did the, this past week? I, I, I'm i worried if I'm a Chiefs fan. I... I 
Like, I don't want to doubt the greatness of Mahomes, although I do have a hot take for you in a second here about Mahomes. Um, but, yeah, like, you can't write them off. You can't discount them. But I, that Bengals team, man, I just, I, that makes me nervous knowing that that ankle isn't going to get a lot better. Okay, you ready for this Mahomes hot take? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, so I clearly know that he is, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever and that there's an argument to me that he has played it at the highest level that you can play the position, the highest level that I've ever seen it, right? Fair? I, I, will, I, will, I can, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> okay. But Chad Henney comes in, he goes down the field, 98 <laughs> yards or whatever, he just rips it up. And I was just a little reminded that with Tom Brady's entire career, and I'm not a Patriots fan, I actually hate the Patriots, but that a lot of Tom Brady's career, it was, this is a system quarterback and he's, it's a lot of Belichick and we would have these debates, right? Of who is the greater of the two. And I don't want to suggest Andy Reid is greater than Mahomes as a coach, but it was a reminder of just, Hey, yeah. Coaching matters a lot. And yeah, Mahomes never gets this. Like that's never a conversation. It's always, these guys are a great pair, but no one ever does the diminishing of Mahomes at all as a quarterback, despite him having arguably the greatest offensive mind of the last, what, 20 years as his head coach for his entire career. I just thought it was something, you know, watching Chad Henney carve them up and go down the field and easily punch in a touchdown that basically determined the game. It, I loved, you know, for me, I look at it two ways. Well, first to address what you're saying, like I've always hated the idea of, Oh, they're a system player sure. or it's the scheme because I'm like, duh, <laughs> like anybody in life, <laughs> anyone yeah. in life, yeah. in life, I don't care what career path that you're in. Like you would love to be in a conducive, very good environment to where it, you benefit from the environment. Mm-hmm. And what naturally is going to happen is, Whatever environment you're in, because of who you are and what you bring to the table, it that's going to benefit as well. So it it's a win-win. That's what those situations are called. A win-win. Oh man, uh, warm weather. Huh. Let's sun's out. Let's go have fun at the beach. Man, I love this weather. Everybody's winning. Everybody's satisfied. Right. I mean, that's what that's what I saw. But for Chad Henney, for me. What that showed me, and, and, and this is not his first time doing it. We saw it last year in a divisional round against, or I'm sorry, uh, against uh, the Cleveland Browns when he had to jump in and on and convert that fourth down when Patrick Mahomes was out. Mm-hmm. Like so, for me, like when I look at when I look at this team, Andy Reid has an extreme amount of tr- trust. And then the preparation of Chad Henney. That is what you have to be. I love if that you're, you're turning this guy. into Henny. Yes, hell yeah. You know what? Yeah. I, you're right. I yeah, should have just given like, Henny more credit. That's where I should have gone. That's the better take. Like that for me, like I, that the preparation of Henny to be ready in in moments where like he he's not getting called on in the regular season playing against you know the lowly Colts. Like this is. Look, our Super Bowl chances are are at the two yard line right now. Yeah. Can you can you can you do something? Yes, I can because I've been prepared. I've been I've been entrusted and I've been equipping myself and in, 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 in to be put in these situations to where 
there, I'm not going to say there's not a drop-off. Clearly there's a drop-off. They look different. But for us to believe that, oh, they can't do it without Patrick Mahomes, that's a, doing Chad Henney a disservice. He's a, he's a very viable backup quarterback that understands what he's being asked and can, they can trust what he's going to deliver. So how do we feel about the Eagles after that? Because, yeah, that was like, – that's that game was over, what, 10 minutes in? That was – that was done. It yeah. was just apparent everything that yeah. we bought in, all the hype of the Giants. Uh, they whipped their ass a few weeks before that in a pretty pivotal game, or I guess more than that, but a, maybe a month or two. And the Giants were like, we need to get better. We need to get on the level. Then we spent the whole week doing the whole Danny Dimes thing. What's his contract going to be? Is he going to become a superstar in New York? And then it was just like, oh, uh, right. The Eagles are really damn good. How how important was it that they didn't that they won, but not not only that they won, sorry, but that they just yeah eviscerated their opponent like they had throughout such large stretches of their regular season? Uh, you know, the Eagles have been this team all year, and I think they they just continue to deliver as far as who they are versus what who they're playing. Like, the Giants are still who they are. Like, the Giants, they overachieved. Danny Dimes, I still feel the same way I feel about Danny Dimes, about being a top-ten quarterback. They're a good team that has mm-hmm. – that met up against a much better team with better personnel and more better coaching. Like they're the Philadelphia Eagles are just a better overall team at this point in this junction. I, having said that, yeah, the way that they put a beating on them, it was like, look, man, this is why you play to get the bye. Because if things start to unravel at the end of the season, which it did for the Philadelphia Eagles, you need time to rest your guys. Everyone's afraid of the bye all of a sudden when you have players who have been injured and they don't look at it as the pot on the, from a positive perspective when it is. Everybody plays to get the number one seed. No one plays to be the, the wild card unless you don't have a chance to be the number one seed, period. And so they got that, and we were all like, well, is it going to hurt them? Because Jalen Hurts had been hurt, and Lane Johnson hadn't played, and all these guys, and they came out and they showed us every reason why they are the number one seed in the NFC. Yeah, uh, and this this leads me into the next thing. Are you more or less confident in Brock Purdy moving forward? Because he made some plays at the end of that game, um, but one of them, too, was George Kittle making the catch of the uh, of the day yesterday where he just, like, hauls it in with one hand, tips it to himself, grabs it. Um, how, do you, how do you think about Brock Purdy after that performance? Because I, I kind of feel a little bit like there might be a corollary with Daniel Jones and him and how this might end up going. Yeah, I, honestly, I, I like Brock Purdy, man. So, I. so we, all, we all put a lot of <laughs> emphasis on the catch. The fact that he made that throw, rolling out to his left, turning, squaring up, throwing across the middle of the field, which you don't – the moment that happens when a quarterback does it, even even the novice fan are like they, – they, they start to hold their breath. Like we – because we can't see anything. It's like that's danger zone. And no one – everybody knows the, the cardinal rule, do not throw back across your body across the middle of the field. There's something when to be said when a quarterback 
completely goes against the grain because he either doesn't know better or he knows better, but he, I just believe that I can make this throw. Yeah. That's Brock Purdy, the latter. I believe I can make this throw. I trust that I, I in my ability, I know my guy's going to make a play for me. If, if Kittle doesn't bobble it, we're talking about the throw more than the catch. All right. But because Kittle bobbles it and makes it more dramatic, as he said in his, his compressor, like we're talking about the catch. But the fact that he made that throw and he had the confidence to make that throw, man, this kid is not gun-shy whatsoever. No, he's not. And the week before, I talked to you about how I loved how he, you know, yells at his receivers about where they're supposed to be, like he's Tom Brady, even though he's Mr. Irrelevant. We both love that. What I liked about him this week was in his post-game media, not even his presser, the -the on-the-field interview. He's there, and he's talking about it. He's going, and that's what playoff football is all about. I was like, hell yes, Brock Purdy, you play one playoff game, and you're out here talking like you played in 35 of these things. I just, I like the way he carries himself, man. I I like the way that he throws the ball. I just, that Eagles defense looks really good, and I, I... I do wonder how he's going to hold up against them because, yeah, against the Cowboys, who have a great defense of their own right, um, yeah, I thought that there were just a lot of moments where I felt like they were never going to score a touchdown. And, yeah, they end up with some plays at the end, but I I didn't feel like he was going to score the entire game. I don't know what to make of that. Okay, so last one. What do the Cowboys change? And, like, is it Dak Prescott? Because he's not going anywhere, but, my God, he was horrific in that game. Like, he killed them. Yeah, man, I, I, th- I think you, you have to sure up your offensive line so that you can really allow your running game to be the focus. Mm-hmm. And I know you paid Dak Prescott a lot of money, but asking him to shoulder that offense has never ended well for the Dallas Cowboys, period. Like, he is who I, I've always said he is. A run- Say it again. I said he is who I, I've always said he is, which is like – yeah, a good quarterback, not a great one, not a guy who can win you a football game. And yeah, like I, I know Cowboys fans are going to cry to me today and be like, that Niners defense is so good. Sniff, sniff. And then if the one interception wasn't all his fault, sniff, sniff. It's like, no, nah, man, he didn't get the job done. Like the one area where the Cowboys no. were supposed to have a big edge was him. And guess what? Purdy was better than him. So yeah, I just, I don't know how I'm, I'm a Cowboys fan rolling into this next season going, well, Mike McCarthy this, and if we just had the, like, no, Zeke and Pollard guard. It's like, no, your quarterback is just not, he's not the guy. That's it. He's just, he's not, he's not yeah, him. It, it starts, yeah, it's, and it starts there. Like, there, there was a play where he tried to hit CeeDee Lamb down the scene, and the, uh, the 49ers were playing like a Tampa 2 coverage with Fred Warner running. Um, with C.D. Lamb, and C got his hands on the ball, but it was in, ended up being incomplete. Well, if you look to the left, T.Y. Hilton is running uh, the same route on the opposite side with Fred Warner's back to him wide open. For me, that lets me know so much about Dak. Like, you're, you're in year, whatever year this is for you, you can't be so locked in on one guy to where you forget your rules. If the linebacker is hightailing it with the guy and he has his back turned and you know the scheme that you have, the route concept, you have another vertical behind him that is bending right behind him. Like he's wide open. Things like that. The the green law dropped interception. Like you can't 
like for me, looking at those those missed plays that of Dak, like you, it just tell it speaks more than what the game actually indicated. So I, I'm, I still I like Dak, but that's about it. I like Dak. Yeah. I don't love Dak. Yeah, he's I fine. Like Dak. Yeah, he's fine. He's fine. That's pretty much it. But yeah, it just we got way too excited about the game that he played last week against a Tampa team that was dead at the half. <laughs> it was just it packed mm-hmm. it in. It was ready for Tom Brady to give his goodbye media conference and for the rest of them to hit the road. Uh, Greg, here's my prediction for next weekend or the next time we talk. We're going to talk about some awesome games. These are going to be some really, really, really good conference championships. I, I can't wait to watch them. I can't wait to break them down with you. Thanks for coming on today, buddy. Absolutely, man. Have a good one. Uh, there's Greg Jennings, Super Bowl and Pro Bowl winning receiver. And yeah, sorry, but... Dak is just not special. And I know Cowboys fans, I think most of you know that now, but yeah, that's the problem with the team is they just don't have a guy who can elevate anybody. And sure, give him more weapons, whatever. This guy just had three awesome weapons. Uh, But sure, it's just because they only have CeeDee Lamb. Anyway, let's take a quick break. Let's come back. Let's wrap this sucker up. Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right, it's time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in the action. Must be 19 plus. Must be in Ontario. Please play responsibly. Um, we'll do fishy lines tomorrow if anything did kind of stick out to you guys. But today I'm just going to use time for action to talk about, again, how great the show has been with picking. <laughs> um, everything hit that we talked about. Long shots, prop bets, spreads, um, predictions. Like, go on down the board. I have a bunch of DMs from people that I really appreciate. You can always send me your DMs, your bet slips, especially when you hit on the show. Um, but yeah, um, somebody parlayed, I had one of a guy that, yeah, took, uh, our best bets from the show, parlayed them into same game parlays and yeah, got the odds at plus, yeah, plus 5,635. Oh, wow. Very small. Yeah. Very small wager they made on this one. They probably wish they went a little higher, but yeah. (laughs) Well, you can always say that in retrospect. But but sure. But that's, that's the kind of... Like Austin had Jamar Chase anytime touchdown scorer, bing. Um, we had Travis Kelsey over in yards, mm-hmm. Christian Kirk over in yards, Boston Scott anytime touchdown, Jalen Hurts, like everything. So anyway, um, that that is the time for action today. Is yeah. that all the action was hot? <laughs> and, and like I said, I I live bet all of that Bengals game so many times to the point of actual uncomfortable money, <laughs> where I went. Like, this is when you know a game is uncomfortable in terms of the amount of money you put on it. When the Bills were driving at the, like, in the fourth quarter there, and they kind of, mm. they threw that one ball, it was Dawson Knox. Yeah. It's like a 30-yard chunk play to start the drive. And Romo went, they're in two-minute drill the rest of the game. And I went, oh, my God. <laughs> they'll score in two minutes. If the Bengals go three and out, they'll have another two minutes. They could, they could come back. Doing the clock, man. Yeah, like, okay. like I did. And I went, this game's not over. Oh, my God. <laughs> they could win 30 and then that 20. fumble, I went, okay, good. It's over. And then they went, you know, NFL continuously trying to rig it for the Bills because they won <laughs> that game so badly. They're like, no, it's a forward pass. Yeah. Even though the ball is not, clearly not in his hand at all when he pushes it forward, yeah, it's a incomplete pass. Yeah. It's a new rule is you get an extra couple of ghost fingers that allow you to throw. <laughs> anyway, um, it was a good weekend. It was a yeah. really good sports betting week. I will say this. My UFC betting was not so hot. Luckily, I didn't share that. I do post a lot of extra bets on my socials on Twitter and Instagram, so follow me there at JD Bunkus. Reach out anytime. But, yeah, I didn't share any of my UFC picks 
Thank God. <laughs> oh the God. reputation really was cratered. They went, the UFC betting is back. And I went, hooray. And then they was just. Lost my money. Yeah. It was, it was a bloodbath. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of losses. <laughs> I liked Glover Teixeira. No. I liked yeah. Terrence McKinney. No. It was not great. I thought Magny was worth a shot at the plus 370. And he got starched immediately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah it was he not... winded up his tap. You see that? He like went all the yeah. way to tap. The only, the only good thing is, is I did have an Andrage uh, Gilbert Burns big parlor. That was the only thing that I hit in the entire weekend. I put those two together as like a, it was a big bet because it was, I think it came to like minus 250 or minus 200 with the two of them together. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was it. Everything <laughs> else was a miss. A missed on everything. And I had some high confidence plays. At least you he know. had football. I, te- I, I may have been texting with a certain somebody who fashions himself to be <laughs> the world's most preeminent MMA expert. And let's just say that his picks weren't so hot either. <laughs> the things that he was in line with me on during those text message exchanges. Anyway, that was Time for Action brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in the action. Must be 19 plus, must be in Ontario. And a reminder, please play responsibly. Anyway, all right, what did we miss? Let's go, boys. All right, let's Let's start it off where uh, things got pretty spicy Friday's Lakers-Grizzlies game. Saw this, (laughs) Shannon Sharp sitting courtside, getting in on the action. He started chirping what seemed like the entire Grizzlies team. Uh, well, started with Dylan Brooks, right? Yeah, yeah started with Dylan Brooks. Yeah. Got into John Morant. Stephen Adams ended up walking over and getting yeah. into it. John Morant's dad got involved. Shannon Sharp gave an exclusive statement to ESPN's yeah, David Metterman at one point, Can which you was have, wild. Do you have the statement in front of you? Uh, I don't have the statement okay, in front yeah, of me. Yeah, I was going to say that the statement, the statement is amazing. It involved, so, you, you know, these guys don't want that, don't want the smoke. Yeah, but I, I could not believe it because normally, first of all, if you're going to issue a statement, this would be my uh, advice. You always want to wait the day before you <laughs> issue the statement, right? Like you want to get it out ahead of it, but you either want to handle it with a PR firm or you want the statement to come out after cooler heads have prevailed. <laughs> mm-hmm. This was an amazing statement where he just went right <laughs> yeah. away to Dave McMenamin. Do you have it? Okay, uh, somebody got it. Because yeah. the statement is amazing. He's just like... I would beat the ass of anybody on the Grizzlies other than he doesn't name Steven Adams is the only thing. He leaves Steven Adams' name out of it. But you know what? I believe him. You don't think Shannon Sharp, I don't care how old he is. How old is he? Like 50, 52? He's got to be around that age. Do you see him? Do you know how badly Shannon Sharp would beat the brakes off of John Morant and his dad oh, yeah. at the same time? He's 54. Do you have any yeah. idea, Dylan Brooks? Like, first of all, Dylan Brooks, I love you. You're one of my favorite NBA <laughs> players. And I love the attitude, the swagger. I want the Raptors to get you, all this different stuff. He's a free agent at the end of the year. I'd love for Dylan Brooks to be a Raptor. Huge fan. Dylan, don't take this the wrong way. If you get wind of this, I'm a big fan. Watch you on the podcast. Love your game. Love your attitude. All about when you called Shannon Sharp a pedestrian, that was rude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, He's one of the not, greatest. Yeah. yeah, one of the greatest tight ends ever. Not to mention yeah. huge and super jacked. That, I was going to say he was wearing, like Dylan Brooks is wearing a black, um, like tank top undershirt tucked yeah. in the jeans. And let's just say, <laughs> body wise, <laughs> it's very clear which one of you and Shannon Sharp <laughs> is going to win is, that one. Yeah is hitting plates, you know? <laughs> yeah, so I have the... Yeah, the read, the, read the thing, because this is the best I'll, part. I'll paraphrase a little bit. He had some colorful language. Uh, so he said, they didn't want this smoke, Dave. 
They yeah. do all that. <laughs> that I personally, I, uh, by the way, I might, if I ever, I might start all my emails with that. They didn't want this smoke, Dave. And then go, go on with the rest of the email. Okay. Yeah. Continue. Sorry. They do all that talking and jockeying and I ain't yeah. about the jockeying. He's it not started in the game, with by Dylan the way. Brooks. It should also be mentioned <laughs> yeah. that he's yeah. a fan. Just they, sitting there. He's, like, he's just sitting there. He's like, they do all this talking and jockey. It's like, they're playing the <laughs> NBA game, Shannon. A regular pedestrian like him. Yeah, it's too much. That's rude. That's that's awful. That's honestly that's the worst thing of Dylan Brooks's entire career. Yeah. As he wore a black tank top and looked literally half the size of Shannon Sharp. Anyway, go on. It started with Dylan Brooks. Yeah. I said he was too small to guard LeBron. He said, she, "Screw me." I said, "Screw you back." Yeah, uh, paraphrasing a little screw. bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Screw he him. started to come at me, <laughs> and I it. said, "You don't want these problems." And then Jaw came out of nowhere talking. <laughs> He definitely uh, didn't want these problems. Then his, then the dad came, and he obviously didn't want no problems. He but did I make up. He did make up with the, the yeah. dad. End of the third yeah. quarter. He they did. Were, there was a video of that at the up. end. Yeah. yeah, that was nice. That was good to see. It's and always he, nice to see people like, like <laughs> quash the beef. Yeah, and then he finished off the quote with, "But I wanted anything they had. Don't let these fools fool you now." Yeah, <laughs> I want it. But guess what? I believe him. Yeah, yeah I think the only guy you nailed it. The only guy that maybe he didn't want to mess with was Stephen Adams because yeah. you know that's Stephen like a Adams would, would New Zealand yeah. did you, farmer. Yeah. Did you dude? see Adams? Well, he's seven like, feet tall too. too. Like, yeah. it's just, seven feet tall <laughs> and monster. in playing shape. Like Stephen Adams, if I was doing the draft of fighters in the NBA, guys <laughs> yeah. that I want to be, you know, my Game of Thrones style champion, right? Yeah. Where <laughs> someone's going to represent me in a fight. Pretty sure Stephen Adams would be number one. I'm hard pressed to think about who would be higher. Yeah. Do you see the video of Adams like going into like the the, the whole scrum and he's just pushing people? Yeah. Out. No, he's Nobody beast. can move him. There are clips of him like picking, just picking NBA he's, players up and moving a, them. It's it's funny because he's obviously a great guy, um, but he's also an enforcer and he's not afraid. I would say that um, Jokic, I wouldn't want to mess with either. Mm. I think Jokic after the Morris slap, thing last year. Yeah, he would slap you out. Yeah. <laughs> he's got that <laughs> Serbian yeah. like you get, that picture of his brothers in the front row. They're all standing I know, up too. A, I was like, oh my goodness. No, dude, if if it's a family affair, yeah, that's yeah, Jokic yeah, yeah. is number one. Yeah. Like that's the the Jokic family. That's, yeah, that's, although Stephen Adams' sister held the world record for shot put for a while. So really, yeah, there you go. I did not know that. I don't want to go through the exercise <laughs> of her fighting the Jokic brothers. Okay? But thank you. For, yeah, hey, uh, you know, uh, just got to sprinkle something. It's didn't have the know. statement, but at least had some. It's uh, good to know. Um, the other part of this story too. First off, Shannon Sharp, great cardigan, great fashion choice. Fantastic yeah. Yeah. cardigan, yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Dude, yeah. he looked. All, there's one photo of him yeah, where he's angry, and it's picture. like the people made a rap album out of it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fire. It goes so hard. Yeah. Anyway, Shannon would have completely eviscerated those guys, but he's 100% in the wrong getting that heated <laughs> getting about that it. Mad. Well, so and Especially since he's like barking at Dylan Brooks, you're too small, and then he barks back, and then your immediate move is to be like, we're going to fight now? <laughs> I don't know. This is kind of funny, too, because, okay, I, I don't want to revisit this because everybody got so mad about it, but now I think we're, we're there's enough distance in space that we can kind of look at this a little bit with uh, clearer heads. I I never really understood why everyone got so furious with Skip Bayless over his DeMar Hamlin tweet to the degree they did. Like, it's Skip Bayless, right? If other people tweet that, it doesn't get the same heat. He's clearly, like, in the tweet, he's like, I feel horrible for this guy, but how do they move the game? Like, what are they going to do? He's an old man who's seen a million different injuries on the field. Like, I, yeah, it's an insensitive tweet. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like, everyone's supposed to have the only thought, but a lot of people were probably thinking that. Like, how is the NFL going to do this? How are they going to move the game? 
But Shannon Sharp took like a day off the show and was like, then came back and issued like a statement to him. And I went, okay, you know, what, what's worse behavior? Like what Shannon Sharp did where he tried to fight courtside and beat people up who were in the NBA. Fight a man in or a, an actual a tweet NBA game. Where the guy said like, my thoughts and prayers are with this player and how is the NFL? I, I just thought it was kind of hilarious. I, if I was Skip, I'd 100% be taking the show off and being like, I need to comport myself and do this the right way and then break down the... Like surprise him with something. I don't know if I. I'm petty like that. I would be oh, Skip should absolutely do that. That's yeah, the best idea I've heard today. Yeah, I wonder what the clips yeah. from today's show shows like. Yeah. Yeah. The I other part know. of this story too on Shannon what Sharp. If he hit someone. Like what? He's done from that show, right? Like he's oh, got to be yeah. Shannon yeah. Sharp. Like if he, he actually hit someone at the oh, game. Oh yeah, he wanted to hit somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He, well, he was getting ready. Yeah, he almost <laughs> he almost literally started Malice at the Palace 2.0, and people are like, just where the fan wins this time, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Malice at the Palace 2 almost happened like a couple months ago when Killian Hayes got into it with with Franz Wagner. Like remember, is Mo Wagner? Uh, it was Mo, I think. It was Mo. This is where you're really showing your age of being a child comparing those two things. Yeah, but not, anyways, not he punched him in the back of the head. So. Yeah, those are two players fighting. Um, Ron Artest going up no, in the stands. No, I know. And, it's you know, absolutely uh, annihilating. Uh, yeah, bitch slapping <laughs> into the next universe. No, I know. I'm, like, not, yeah. I'm not saying Jermaine it's the same situation. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah uh, Joe, anyway, what's next? A uh, woman at a Chiefs game, at the Chiefs-Jags yeah, playoff like game, this. was uh, caught on Twitter eating a baked potato that I guess she had brought in in her pocket. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she brought it in. I feel like you can get a baked potato Okay, so I guess this is, this is the question. I went through that Twitter thread, and I couldn't really figure out if she bought it. It does seem like a weird thing to just have, a, you know, a in foil baked potato. But it's also a weird thing to bring in, you know? So okay, I can I, see both sides. What's your guys' favorite potato? Ooh. Twice baked potato. Twice baked. Twice baked. Twice baked potato is legit. Here's the thing about the baked potato. It's it's toppings based, right? Like it's, how much yeah. you enjoy a baked potato. Yeah. What's on there? Yeah, but every potato, like you have to put yeah, I guess that's true. Into mashed potatoes, <laughs> you're not. It's not just your pull, yeah. <laughs> plain, plain yeah. mashed oh, potato. I love mm. potatoes. Like I, I uh, potatoes are awesome. Yeah, I'm a big starched potato guy. Okay, <laughs> uh, Blake Murphy, weirdest thing about him, doesn't love potatoes. I'm ah. like, I, you're not invited to any dinner that I. There's so many part. things you can do with potatoes. No, it's I can't get it. So right. wait, what's it's, your favorite potato though? I'm trying to th- honestly because it's double baked. I but here's the thing about a baked potato that's so great is that it's such a pain in the ass to like wait and make yeah, you know yeah, it does take a while that it's it's just not something that you ever make for yourself and you're right and the toppings it's just it's a lot of work for a potato <laughs> so the work outweighs the satisfaction no, you get I'm, at the end no but I'm saying, saying like for her to have it like to buy a baked potato is high on my list mm, because true. it's just like that's a potato I'll pay money for right. To cut it all the way to the legwork. I think that clearly mashed is the most versatile. Sure. I love the little baby potatoes, like the little mm, potatoes yeah. with some butter and dill. Like, yeah. oh, that's... <laughs> the, the outside's a little a crispy, too. Oh, that's and they're all soft. Yeah. That's a top tier potato. <laughs> that's a top tier potato. Potatoes with JD. <laughs> that's a top tier. That's a top tier. Yeah, I should, maybe one day I'll do the power rankings. But I'm just saying, like, in terms of the potatoes I'll pay money for, mm-hmm. not, like... When you buy mashed potatoes, you're like, this isn't as good as what 
you're getting at home. Right. Yeah, like never. somebody's making sick mashed potatoes in your family. And if they I don't, your family kind of sucks. Yeah. You say you do everything good, so no, it's no, just no. kind of hard to I, really I, take I, it seriously. I legitimately do. This guy literally any opportunity he has to talk about himself, he I'm just brings best. up what, what? he's good at. Yeah, he, he, uh, he did it this morning. He walked in. I'm like, ah, I don't really want to talk about tennis. He's like, I'm actually a pretty sick tennis player. I'm like, <laughs> I couldn't. Dude. I was like, I, I didn't say I'm it like without context. I'm, I couldn't care less. That <laughs> is out of context. Me talking about it the was Austra- already it was already brought up. Me talking about the Australian Open is not. In an open invitation for you to tell me that you're really good at tennis, which I like, I, I promise you, I'm giving you I, show I, content. I could not care less about anyway. Bro, I've got a sick drop it's just shot. Not, uh, feasible. Yeah, I just I don't, I don't care. I don't care, Jobo. Anyway, uh, I I think baked potato is like my number one in the power ranking of like potato that I would buy at a sporting event. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. Unless, like, we can't count fries, right? We're not I, I always yeah, want to bring that up, but it's like... It's potato. Fr- this is a potato. Because yeah. fries are in, the, like, a No, there's different tiers. Fries and yeah. chips it's are... It's like chips and fries, you know. They're not yeah. talking about this. Just talking... Yeah. So, but a baked potato, you get it in the foil, and you already have the toppings in it, and the butter's already, like, melted in that sucker. Yeah. Just, Underrated part of it, too. Like, cold, cold playoff game. It's warm in your hands as yeah. you're just kind oh, of yeah. mowing oh, down yeah. on a nice baked potato. I think she I bought know. it there. I don't think she smuggled that in because if it's in foil, it would have got popped on the metal detector. I'll do my I'll do my best to yeah, find that, to there. track that answer down for tomorrow. But I, that it, is, it'd be hard to believe that wouldn't get found on the way in and they'd be like, why do you have a thing wrapped in tinfoil? Yeah. I mean, have you ever seen, have you ever been to a sporting event with baked potatoes on the menu? I thought you were going to ask me if he'd ever smuggled one in. <laughs> uh, it, the, the thing is, is though, is like in the States and a lot of stadiums, yeah, yeah, especially yeah. in like Kansas City. Sure. Um, there's more available to you than there is. Aside from some of that here. Kansas City barbecue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when, yeah. Usually when you go to some stadiums in the States, and we have that here too, where it's like local stuff. It's just not really. It's like Aramark mostly. And maybe there's one or two <laughs> restaurants that are in there. But Austin laughing it's like, this guy. Yeah, uh, but no, for real. It's it's like there's more flavor and attitude to a lot of American stadiums in terms of like the food options. Mm-hmm. I, I would guess that there's baked potatoes available at uh, the Kansas City Chiefs Stadium. Again, I have a hard time believing that the aluminum foil got through. Mm. Also, I don't know what the policy is. Like Rogers Center, you can bring food in. Yeah, right. And some you can't. So maybe it's like that. Anyway, we only got 90 seconds. What else we got? It's underrated food, though, is baked potato. Yeah, Agreed. for sure. Yeah. That we can all agree yeah, on. We can all agree. The show is united by underrated. that. Uh, how about this headline that I saw? Pest controllers using facial recognition software to kill no, rats. I, how terrifying is no, that? I, I need more time with this than 90 seconds. <laughs> next. What's next? What's next? I'll do that a different day. What's next? I'm real into <laughs> you're, that you're, right now. You're real into that? Yeah, that's like 20 minutes. <laughs> that's a 20-minute <20 laughs> segment. What's next? Uh, the next thing we were talking about is the, the jersey matchup between the Niners oh, and the yeah. Cowboys and how it's arguably one of the most beautiful in sports. Would yeah. that be near the top for you or... Yeah. Is there something better than that? I, I really like when the Leafs and Red Wings play. Mm. And it's the, like, blue versus the red. Yeah. That looks just, like... And then Celtics-Lakers, yeah. specifically on the Celtics floor. Yeah. That's, oh, the parquet, How many yeah. seconds? 60. Okay, we got a minute. They they have to let the, the Leafs and the Red Wings play red against blue, though. I, I yeah. For some reason, I, I can't get past it. They do one white per match. I don't match. mind. I, like, I like them both. But those are... I would say that those are my two favorites. Is Leafs, Red Wings, just does... Some, like, it just does something for me. Mm. And then, yeah, Lakers-Celtics on the Celtics floor. Just I is hate... Like, I hate when the Celtics wear those black jerseys. I know. Yeah, Especially in the playoffs. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, you have... Bad. What are we talking about here? It's really bad. Ugh. It's really quite awful. Also, yeah, there's a few. Ohio State versus Michigan. I don't mm, know. Just like those... those Alabama-LSU. Personally, yeah, I like that. It's just I guess rivalries. But those always... colors don't like mesh against each other. Like it's like those. That's yeah, a good rivalry, but like the colors don't go well against each other. What is it for you guys? I can understand that. Uh, I was gonna say Celtics Lakers. Yeah, Celtics Lakers. It's, it's hard to beat. It's hard to beat Leafs Habs for me. Yeah, just like the the matchup. It just 
colors yeah. are kind of similar. Yeah. In terms of Leafs Red Wings, Leafs Habs, kind of sim- similar thing. Anyway, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, um, hit me up anytime. Uh, and yeah, we'll catch you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.